Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. Thomas Costigan with us as we're talking about his work hacking planet Earth. There are a lot of dedicated climatologists, Thomas, who are out there who really want to do a great job for this planet, aren't there? Yeah, and that's the encouraging thing. There's there's just a lot of hope, and I encountered that um, from scientists, climatologists, entrepreneurs, people across the spectrum who've done um, you know just a lot of great work and have developed a lot of great technologies that can do you know just mind blowing things that you you wouldn't even think of. I'll, I'll give you an example. I I went to interview a gentleman named Klaus Lochner. He's at Arizona State University. And Klaus has developed an artificial tree that can capture carbon out of the atmosphere at a million times the rate. Wow. A million times? A million times the rate. So with a significant forest, he can zero out all of the emissions that we put out there. You just have to do the math. So 100 million trees, for example, how much will that take down out of the atmosphere? We put about 40 gigatons of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere annually. And, you know, you can sort of do the math on that. And it's not impossible. So... That's a phenomenal thing, and this, you know he's developing these 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 trees and these technologies. And I stopped him, and I said, "Well, what made you think of this?" Because I always like to know that light bulb moment, you know, like how did you wrap your mind around doing this? And Klaus started off in robotics, self-learning machines, self-learning systems because he was fascinated with the idea that if machines could self-replicate, what would that mean for humans? And it turns out that the one thing that robots cannot do as of yet is create energy and fuel sources to self-replicate. We still need a human touch there. And when he got into the energy side of that equation of self-replicating machines, he started to look at, obviously, the byproduct of that, which is pollution. Mm-hmm. And I like to use the word pollution as opposed to carbon emissions and, carbon, you know, all that stuff is just, you know, so vague. Well, and I think, Thomas, a lot of people have confused climate change with pollution as well. And, you know, nobody wants pollution. Nobody wants pollution. But I think they've got that confused and then they throw in man-made climate change when it's, I think, really po- pollution. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. There's been a a huge change and shift in vocabulary that's been inexact with science that to date has been inexact. We know is, you know, things are happening and that it's real and all all of that. But I think the messaging has been off. And a lot of the, you know, the, the science that's out there, a lot of it is great, but some of it hasn't been so great. And we need to have a, a more unified look at, at what's going on in terms of why the climate is shifting. 
just a very real sense, you know, pollution versus carbon emissions versus other greenhouse gases. And, you know, we still don't know. We have we still don't know what the composition is of those greenhouse gases that leads to climate change. Well, that's true. Are you familiar with the controversy about chemtrails, whether we're being sprayed uh, from planes, and it's not jet fuel or jet vapor, uh, but mm-hmm. actual chemtrails are being mm-hmm. polluting us all over the place. Have you been into that at all? Yeah, and a lot of people have, you know, conflated that with, with some of the geoengineering discussion, and it goes back to the vocabulary, you know, definitions that we were just talking about. And, you know, the, the chemtrail, um, you know, issues are, are totally different than what we're talking about here. And you have, you know, some of those sightings, um, some of those um, discussions happening, you know, a lot. And what that leads to, though, ha- hasn't been defined, you know, from, from any type of, you know, scientific standpoint that has been, you know, peer-reviewed, et cetera. So, you know, that's out there in terms of a way that people are trying to manipulate uh, the climate, but there really hasn't been anything to it that I've seen. You had mentioned that the Chinese are employing nearly 40,000 people for their water modification program. What are they trying to do? Is, are they trying to, you know, help the climate and help their own country? Are they trying to do it for potential warfare? What are they up to? Well, let's take the Olympics, for example. To clear the skies in the Olympics, um, they have Beijing has shot, you know, rockets into the air in order to clear the skies to, you know, create a, a better world impression. Uh, I can't speak to the military side of, of it, but certainly to benefit, you know, their country because they have a really arid, arid, you know, deserts there. When with such a vast population, they need as much land to grow food as they possibly can. Sure. And that, that requires water. And if you, you know, right now they're building the longest water tunnel in the world. And if you can't get it, from the earth, where else are you going to get water from in order to have agriculture? you got to get it from the sky. So they're looking at all sorts of interesting, you know, rain-making devices uh, up in the Himalaya in order to, you know, produce, you know, precipitation down below in the deserts. And um, I get into that in the book, chapters in somewhat, in some detail. And so, you know, the the idea that they they're weaponizing the weather, you know, who knows? We've done that in the past, you know, with our our different types of approaches during the Vietnam War. You know, and the Brits did that as well, um, and so you know, those didn't go so great for us um, when you look at some of um, the ramifications that came off of that when we had, you know, Project Popeye. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, where we tried to extend the monsoon season in Vietnam in order to just flood and create mudslides for the enemy. Interesting. Um, And I remember during the Olympics, somebody had asked the Chinese, 
if uh, they were concerned about the weather and they said, no, we can handle that. Just like yeah. that. Yep. Yeah. So it goes back to, you know, you had asked about chemtrails and some of these other possibilities. You know, the, the science on those things, we just don't know about. Uh, they're very inexact, but things like lasers that can reconstruct molecules. Interesting. That's high technology. That's high technology, and that's been done in model form, and you can see that. I've seen that. I've been in a basement in Geneva and had a cloud appear before my eyes that was created artificially. That fast? That fast. Jeez. Now, what about the dangers? What's the downside here, Thomas, of playing around, as you say, hacking planet Earth, creating this Franken planet? I mean, I've always believed when you play around with Mother Nature, things could backfire. What's the downside for climate engineering, geoengineering? Absolutely. If we do, if we do it recklessly, and there are, you know, we have obviously there's models that people use now, and there's a whole virtual world out there, and we can do algorithms and use artificial intelligence to map these things out, and scenarios, you know, millions and millions of ways within a second. But if you just did it recklessly, you could dry out the Amazon, which is the Earth's lungs, and create wildfires throughout South America and and into the, you know, the Indonesian countries in Southeast Asia. Um, you could flood other places. And that happened in where um, they they artificially seeded the clouds in something um, that they had a I think it was Operation Cumulus then that they did in World War II and they flooded one of the cities and killed people. Oh, um, so you can actually create floods or droughts or create extreme storms. Can you um, can by, you create respiratory situations? I mean. Uh, we look at this coronavirus situation. How do we know? I, I, I'm, again, I'm convinced it was made in a laboratory, but how do we know it wasn't sprayed on people? Well, that falls outside of, you know, my purview in the climate. So that that's more of a, you know, a, a disease type of thing from what I understand. Sure. Um, you know, I, I couldn't get into any of the public health considerations there, but I, but I could tell you that you know, some of these technologies and they, you know, they talk about some of the ramifications here that will cause death. You know, stratospheric aerosol injection, for example, making the clouds brighter could set off ramifications in areas that would create droughts or extreme storms and people would die from it. And that's a Harvard, you know, university project. When you were researching the book, Tom, when you were putting this together, what would yeah. you say was your most dramatic or memorable moment researching it? Well, I would say the most memorable moment, uh, and there there are two. One is just awe-inspiring, and that was just going out to Death Valley. And if you've ever been there and traveled through that area into the flats, it's just it's wrong. It's breathtaking, breathtaking, incredible. And you realize, at least I did, it was very humbling how small we are. 
as human beings compared to everything around you and just how vulnerable you are to Mother Earth. But the other other extreme on that side is I went up to Arctic Norway where they are artificially placing stanchions for glaciers to prevent the melting. And that area there, too, that was a very kind of harrowing experience because you, you're in, a, you know, not, not the most uh, calm of, of situations, but again, just awe-inspiring in terms of beauty and the technology that these scientists are putting to work and, you know, risking their own lives in certain certain circumstances, you know, living in these subglacial tunnels, you know, many, many, many meters below the ice for, you know, months at a time in order to examine the core and then put these stanchions in place so that will slow the melt. You know, that type of thing you look at and go, wow, that's that's kind of phenomenal what's going on there. Um, and then intellectually, you know, I would say the laser modification of weather is really one of the most interesting, uh, frightening, and, you know, full of possibilities, uh, technologies that we have out there. I had not heard of the lasers until you told us tonight. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the gentleman I was with, uh, Jean-Pierre Wolf, you know, well-known scientist over there, and he created, artificially created lightning. You know, and he did that here in the United States up to the top of Mount Baldy and, and it worked? shot the laser into a, into a cloud and created lightning. Oh, my gosh. And as you probably well know, lightning is a very powerful force. It's got more power than all the atomic bombs on Earth. Oh, my God, if you can harness lightning, you really got something. There you go. Of course, a lot so, of people get zapped by lightning, too. <laughs> and that's the other thing. Every commercial aircraft gets lightning, you know. Oh, that's a good point. So if you can redirect it, then you have something that's, you know, could be beneficial. And then in the book, I always look at the other side of the equation. Okay, here's the positive side. Here's the altruistic side. Here's what we want to do as good people to, you know, have a a better society. And then I look at the other side and say, but what if, what if this falls into the wrong hands? What if this has that tag-along type of um, effect on, say, teleconnections, where, you know, those we can we can map out from an El Nino or La Nina, and you can see where just a warm patch of water off the Pacific, off of South America and the Pacific Ocean can cause, you know, all sorts of ramifications. Oh, my God. Or, or, or all these fires. I mean, how do we know some of these fires aren't caused by weather modification that, you know, just burn out the land? I'm a lot of people have been looking at cloud seeding that's been been done, or some of the other uh, operations where people are looking to create precipitation, but it may have an opposite effect. That's dangerous that's, stuff. That's at the local level, George. Now look at it from a country level. Let's say you're in the Middle East, and let's say you want it to where where it's you know dry, obviously, on the other side of the mountains and it's wetter closer to the, the sea. What if you shifted that? Well, that's what a if good, you had it wetter? 
over in, in where your people that you <laughs> are not predisposed to liking are in the deserts and flooded that and kept it a little drier closer to and that's that, those are some of the downsides of this stuff who gets the benefit of the technology is another one well, you know, you know, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, once the Vegas starts getting going again, depends on water from the Colorado River. And, you know, if you wanted to wipe out a group of societies, you would make a drought so that river would get so small it would just evaporate and disappear. Can they do that? Do they have that kind of technology with geoengineering? Well, you, you could do that. You could re- you could actually redirect the rivers, and you know they've tried that. You know the the there's been a reports out there that the the U.S. military has had on the on the books for some time now, um, reportedly again, that during a high drought situation in the United States, they would be able to redirect the rivers south because Canada has an awful lot of fresh water, so. There's been all sorts of scenarios that, you know, have been played out that way. The Colorado River is drying up. There's even been plans to artificially remove water via aqueducts from the Great Lakes to Nevada. Interesting. Gosh, that's a long way. It's a long way. So, you know, you have the, the uh, you know, the, the Great Plains aquifers drying up. What does that mean to farmers? What does that mean to agriculture? What does that mean to our food supply? Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.